a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, once again, I want to welcome you to the show. A special shout out to first time listeners. I know you're probably wondering, okay, what does this guy have to offer? What what does this program have to offer that I can't get anywhere else? And I don't know that I actually have any corner on the market of anything unique, but but let me tell you where I'm coming from just just so we're clear, just right up front. I am coming from the standpoint that uh, there are very few things in this life that matter more than your ability and my ability to think and act for ourselves. I think freedom is the most precious gift that God has ever given us. I believe that it is, uh, it's, it's a worthy cause for, one, for a person to, to dedicate their life to. Um, I believe that's how we become the best version of ourselves is through proper exercising of our freedom. You notice how I didn't say doing whatever you dang well please, but, but simply being able to do what you, what you really ought to do without some kind of outside compulsion forcing you one direction or the other. And by the way, I think this is something for everybody, not just for those with land, not just for those with the right color of skin, not just those with the right woke beliefs, but for everybody. So that makes me a little bit of an outlier, but uh, trust me, we are in good company. If this is how you think, we we are standing on the right side, even though right now it it's got to feel pretty awkward. We're, we're being corralled and uh, pushed into a corner and told, look, you guys, you're, you're minimal. Nobody agrees with you. Your views are irrelevant. This fixation you have with, with freedom and things like this, autonomy, you know, nobody cares about it. Kind of feels that way sometimes. But I'm betting if you're listening to this program right now, you are a person who at some level has said, uh, yeah, that's not true. It matters, and in fact, I'm realizing it matters more than ever. In that case, I say welcome. I think you're going to find some very worthwhile stuff. I, I spend a, well, I spend pretty much every moment of downtime that I have in my life looking for good, interesting, factual, solid information that can help us better understand the world around us and at the same time inspire us as to why things are the way they are historically, how did we get from there to here, and you know what to, what can we learn from this? And I'm very fortunate to have a lot of great resources. If you go to my website, which is thebrianhideshow.com, you will find there's a special page there called Resources for Wrong Thinkers. And this is just a, a list of some of the different news aggregator sites, some of the different... Uh, Different websites I go where they have multiple contributors who write on a number of different topics. And I would encourage you to take a look at it. My goal here is not to build a bunch of people who faithfully follow me and hang on every word that I say. I have a much greater goal in mind because I believe that uh, the best kind of leaders and the kind of leaders that we need right now are not the kind of people who go out there and create a large army of followers. They're the kind of people who help inspire other people to stand up and be leaders in their realm of influence. 
whether that's within the walls of your home, whether that's in your job or your profession, whether that's in your community, your neighborhood, or bigger. I don't know how big your circle of influence is, but I promise you have one. And if there was ever a time to to stand up and be that influence that you need to be, however big, however small, this is that time. All right. By the way, our show is brought to you by Alta Bank, as well as uh, Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. I'll have some kind words for both of these sponsors a little bit later on. Let's talk about a conundrum here. Let's just say, hypothetically, that the political war, or the political class, rather, is at war with each other. Who do you side with? <laughs> I know, it's, that's, well, I don't know. If I look at Washington, D.C., I don't really see a lot of good guys. I'm with you there. I'm not sure there I'm not sure there are any good guys because the political class really I mean it's it's clear they are at war with each other but at the same time they're at war with us because what they're warring over is power. They want power, they want to hold it, they want to roll around in it, they want to caress it, but more importantly they want to wield it against everyone else including you and me. Thomas L. Knapp, writing for everythingvoluntary.com. This is one of those uh, aggregator sites, by the way, that I would encourage you. Go sign up for their daily emails. You won't be disappointed. They'll send you some great stuff. This article says, Those who make peaceful revolution impossible, President John F. Kennedy said in a 1962 speech, will make violent revolution inevitable. Now, Thomas Knapp says, Nearly 60 years later, two warring groups within the American political class seem resolutely determined to make peaceful revolution, by which JFK seems to have meant orderly democratic decision-making, impossible. Supporters of Donald Trump rejected the outcome of the 2020 presidential election and, with his active, if deniably worded encouragement, rioted in a tantrum intended to overturn that election's results. Thomas Knapp says Trump's opponents immediately and predictably responded with calls for a reign of terror. I like his choice of words. We're seeing some French Revolution-style stuff go on right now. To suppress sedition, U.S. Representative Benny Thompson of Mississippi asked the Transportation Security Administration and FBI to add Trump supporters who have yet to be convicted of, or in many cases even charged with, any crime to the unconstitutional no-fly list. Newly elected U.S. Representative Cory Bush from Missouri filed a resolution calling for the expulsion from Congress of members who objected, as House rules allow, to certification of the election results. Big Big Tech promptly swung into action in support of the latter side. The two largest social media platforms, Twitter and Facebook, banned Team Trump's major voices and vowed to block or delete posts that call Team Pelosi's line into question. Google, Apple, and Amazon colluded to take another social media platform, Parler, offline with the obvious purpose of denying Trump, Team Trump's supporters any venue for expressing wrong think. So if you're looking for good guys, he says, you won't find them on either side of this fight. It's a fight between two factions of the political class with big tech trying to appease and co-opt one of those two factions. It's neither a revolution nor a fight for freedom. It's just a schoolyard brawl over which gang gets to rule. The interests of ordinary Americans aren't represented. But he says ordinary Americans do seem to be rallying in great numbers to one side or the other. Whoever said there's a sucker born every minute was lowballing it. He says the political class is well-practiced at duping most of us into thinking we have skin in their power games. 
And he says that's a big problem. Peaceful revolution, which would require an orderly dissolution or at least devolution of the U.S. government, isn't on the table. Neither major political class gang is willing to allow it on the table because it would deprive them of power. So there's the bad news, but he says, fortunately, you can't fool all of the people all of the time. Sooner or later, sufficient numbers will wise up, rise up, and put an end to this nonsense. The Trump base, as personified by the D.C. rioters, is hardly an unstoppable force. And by the way, he's, he's painting with a broad brush here. But he says, neither are its opponents an immovable object. The fates of Louis XVI, Nicholas II, and Nikolai Ceausescu are the alternative to peaceful revolution. And so Thomas L. Knapp says, this dust-up is only one front in a larger war, a war by both gangs on the rest of us. A war for power. A war for control. Neither gang will ultimately win that war. Their Their choice is whether to lose peaceably or violently. Now, I'm not sharing this to discourage anybody because I know it, it doesn't exactly paint, you know, a, a very hopeful picture. Of, well, gee, Brian, we were kind of hoping you could show us that there's a way out of here. There's sunlight up ahead. There is, but it's it's still, you know, around the bend and, and uphill a little ways. We'll get there. The main caution that I'm trying to sound by sharing this with you, and I, and I do agree with Thomas Knapp on this point, if you invest yourself too much politically, you may be wasting some of the precious moral energy that you have to uh, devote to other things that may actually matter more and have greater influence and impact on you and the lives of the people around you. So don't feel like you have to commit to one side or the other for this this political battle going on in Washington, D.C. I guess what I'm asking is seriously consider how much does this actually affect me? It, is it something that, you know, I consciously allow to affect me because I'm, you know, constantly looking at the news or I'm constantly checking my updates, you know, on my digital device to see what's what's the latest development? Or is it something you're actually feeling in your day-to-day life, whether you're checking your updates or watching the news or not? People who unplug, by the way, from their digital devices have this weird habit of reporting life gets back to normal in a big hurry. If you haven't tried it, maybe do a little media fast and see how things turn out. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back. Our program is brought to you in part by Alta Bank. That is a mortgage lender. Specifically, it's my friend John Staples. And I would just encourage you, if you or someone you know is shopping for a home, a lot of people moving out of uh, certain states that have been a little more heavy-handed with their approach to COVID-19, and uh, they they are finding a, a home here in my home state of Utah. If you're one of them, or if you know somebody who is, they're looking for a new home loan, or maybe you just think this, you know, the interest rates are so low, I should probably jump on uh, these low interest rates and get a refinance of my existing mortgage. Go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Down at the bottom, you will find a link that will take you right to Alta Bank. Talk to my friend John Staples. He will help you. You can tell him thanks for sponsoring this show. 
So as you watch the big social media purge of anyone to the right of Mitt Romney over the weekend, did it make you think about uh, your digital footprint? Just curious. I mean, you know, for some people, it's no big thing. Hey, it doesn't matter. Uh, For a lot of people, though, I'm seeing this incredible uh, interest in, in, you know, hey, how can we protect ourselves and still be able to stay in touch with people? You know, social media fills a lot of different needs. I think it gives you the chance to to gather with like-minded people, to share silly memes if you're into that kind of thing, which it turns out I am, um, to, to share relevant stories and things like that. But when you're worried about, okay, not only is it possible to be deplatformed in a heartbeat, but, uh, but you have to wonder, are they, are they vacuuming up and, and saving all of these things? I mean, somebody hacked Parler. Someone or scraped it, I guess is the, the term that you're using. But what they did was basically they digitally downloaded millions upon millions of deleted parlor posts for the purpose, said this this hacker, of doxing, figuring out who were Trump supporters, who were the people who were trying to, you know, cover their tracks because they supported Trump. That's kind of scary. I mean, that's that is again, that's like French Revolution scary. Someone is trying to make lists of who do we need to go visit retribution upon. And so, as a result, people are starting to get a little bit more serious about, you know, maybe I think I should uh, should do something a little bit different. Uh, uh, for instance, found this article on Reason, millions of users are flooding encrypted apps after social media purges. This is from Elizabeth Nolan Brown. She says encrypted apps are seeing a surge in downloads. Signal. That's the one that uh, actually a number of, I've been on it for a while, but I have seen more people flocking to Signal recently. recently. They've reached a record high for the company. They saw approximately 7.5 million installs globally through the Apple App Store and Google Play Store between January 6th and January 10th. That's according to CNBC. That is 43 times the number from the previous week. It's the highest week or even monthly install number for Signal in the app's history. Over the same period, 5.6 million people reportedly downloaded Telegram. By the way, just so you know, this has not gone on, gone unnoticed by the political class, which is starting to make some rumblings about the only reason people would want to, to uh, communicate via encrypted apps is because they are planning terrorist events. Trust me, the the talk about that kind of garbage is just scaremongering for why we have to have more control. They're really scared, they being the political class. I've never seen them this frightened in my life. And it's not because the people generally have lost their minds and suddenly, you know, decided to rise up and throw off their shackles. But they are catching on. They're waking up to to what's, what is it, you know, I've got a regular caller on the second hour of my show, Rob, who's always telling people need to wake up. You probably have heard people, you know, in, in your neighborhood talk about people. If only people would wake up, they're waking up. And it has the political class very, very nervous. Now, keep in mind the numbers that they're talking about here, 7.5 million installs between January 6th and January 10th for signal. These are global download numbers. 5.6 million people globally downloading Telegram. So that's not all within the United States, but isn't that interesting? People are flocking to 
the privacy of encrypted chats like Signal and Telegram. And the U.S. alone provides multiple plausible reasons why more people might be turning to that kind of privacy. For instance, Twitter's been booting a ton of accounts this past week, including Donald Trump. Many mainstream social media platforms have been extra jumpy about potential conspiracy theories and misinformation. Parler's temporarily down after Amazon canceled its web hosting account for allegedly not cracking down on this kind of content enough. Meanwhile, federal agencies, local cops, members of the media, citizen spies, they've all been combing social sites for evidence of involvement in the Capitol riot or future far-right organizing. Is it any wonder people might be fleeing for less public and even less accessible to officials, even with a court order, alternatives? And does anyone think the U.S. and, or, sorry, the U.S. state houses and Capitol are now safer QAnon conspiracies are less likely to flourish, or election fraud fever dreams less likely to stir action now that they've been driven to less visible platforms with a smaller chance of pushback from dissenting voices, outside discovery, or platform moderation. The New York Times says on Telegram, where members of the Proud Boys and other militia groups host popular channels, there have been calls for people to organize marches on state capitol buildings Saturday, March 10th. On one Telegram channel, which has over 20,000 followers, addresses were posted for those buildings, as well as the addresses for tech companies, including Facebook, Twitter, Apple, and Google. Members of the Boogaloo movement, another far-right group, have also organized on Telegram and Signal for rallies on Sunday, January 17th. On 4chan and other messaging groups, flyers were posted calling for another march on Washington, D.C. on January 20th. In comments under those posts, people have voiced support for targeting various news organizations like the New York Times and CNN. Now, the article here says encrypted platforms certainly aren't just for people plotting something nefarious, of course. They're also very popular among journalists, and they're an economical alternative to text messaging for people with international contacts and so on. So there are all kinds of benign reasons why these apps might be experiencing a surge right now in particular. For instance, users are reportedly fleeing Facebook-owned WhatsApp over concerns about the company's privacy uh, policy changes. Other platforms are losing users due to state censorship and meddling. WeChat, an app immensely popular in China and among Chinese immigrants elsewhere, is also suffering a host of issues, including alleged shadow banning on behalf of Chinese state forces and a simultaneous attempt by the Trump administration to ban it from the U.S., Now, the article here concludes by saying the situation shows the futility of trying to fix social and political issues by threatening tech platforms that won't hide evidence of them. The issues and ideas driving them don't go away. They just go underground. And the only way to reach them there is to undermine privacy protections for political dissidents from authoritarian regimes, journalists, whistleblowers, all sorts of political organizers, and literally everyone else in the process. So I don't know, you know, you do what you feel is best. Uh, Paul Rosenberg, whose uh, opinions I deeply respect on just about every subject I've ever seen him write about, has been suggesting for years, if you are not being, if you're not using encryption for your communications online, your emails, if you're not using it for your texts, if you're not using it even for your your information-seeking online, He says you're missing 
a great opportunity because you have people who are very actively trying to keep track of everywhere you go, every keystroke you make. I mean, it's, it's sad we're so casual about it. Edward Snowden warned us almost eight years ago that this was going on. And at the time, people, myself included, were pretty outraged. Hey, this is, you know, this is unacceptable. We can't have this. Now we're just kind of like, well, you know, this is just how it is. It's still bad, but I guess I'm saying we've gotten, we've become more used to it than I think we really should be. After all, why is someone spying on us? The default setting is to leave us alone unless we're suspected of a crime. What's the crime? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Now, I'm going to warn you where I'm about to go next is likely to make some folks uncomfortable myself included but I part of being a wrong thinker is being willing to challenge the narrative and there is a narrative right now that I think really needs to be challenged if only because it is being pushed so forcefully and and being used to to not just to go after President Trump but to dominate people who literally have done nothing wrong they're all being painted with the same broad brush. They are all being tarred and feathered and, and, and being turned into social outcasts. And I think it's, it's a very deliberate effort to, uh, to push a narrative that doesn't square with the truth. The narrative is simply this, and that is that Trump incited violence. They impeached the man, by the way, yesterday. The House of Representatives voted, I think it was 232 to 190-something, uh, to, to impeach him. For a second time, this uh, this article of impeachment, he incited violence. Now, Trump's an imperfect guy. You don't have to look too far to find faults. But I think this is, uh, this is hysterical hyperbole to claim that, oh, he was actively telling his supporters to go commit violence. And I'm just, I'm going to throw my opinion out there for what it's worth. I don't know who started the effort to break into the U.S. Capitol. But whoever it was, it was somebody who knew what they were doing. They were squared away. They brought the equipment they needed to do it. Um, I don't know. It could, there, there are any number of people it could have been. It could have been Antifa types. It's possible. They're pretty skilled at this kind of stuff. I mean, they had a lot of practice, especially this last summer. We're not supposed to remember that, but, but they did. It could have been government operatives. The CIA has not been, you know, above <clears throat> false flag operations when it suits someone's purpose. It could have been some rogue right-wing group that felt like this was the place to, to make their stand. But I am absolutely confident whoever initiated those, uh, those proceedings of tearing down the fence and, and, and starting to break into the building, there were people there. This isn't shown in the media, but you talk to people who were actually there at the Capitol, eyewitnesses, ones who were actually standing there at the Capitol, and they'll tell you there were people telling those guys who were trying to break into the Capitol building to stop, telling other people around them, don't go help them. That's, this is not right. 
But again, the narrative is, oh, Trump riled up his supporters, and he told them, go tear down the Capitol, and that's exactly what they did. I don't think that that is a true narrative. So I'm going to start with a, I'm going to start with a question of, was Trump's speech protected speech? I mean, we've seen all the posturing and all the virtue signaling that followed last week's unrest, but that's fairly predictable, right? Everybody wants to stand in front of the cameras and preen about how good they are and how they're against bad things, and nobody wants to be seen as the bad guy. So it's really rare to find genuine dissent on that popular narrative that claims Trump incited violence. Well, Judge Andrew Napolitano says, well, actually, Trump's speech is protected speech. And I like how he makes the case. He says, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie offered his understanding last weekend of President Donald Trump's alleged role in the Capitol riots when he said, if inciting to insurrection isn't impeachable, I don't know what is. Now, Napolitano says he must have been addressing the political, ethical, practical, and emotional implications of Trump's exhortations to the crowd. Christie knows that the Constitution expressly requires that the House of Representatives have evidence that the president committed a crime before it can impeach him. Did Donald Trump commit a crime by exhorting the crowds on January 6th? Judge Napolitano says, in a word, no. Here's the backstory. Any analysis of the criminal implications of speech must begin with the plain language of the First Amendment, which reads in part, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. James Madison, who drafted the Bill of Rights, insisted that the article pre the precede the word freedom, as in the freedom of speech, so as to make it manifestly clear that those who proposed and ratified the First Amendment recognized that the freedom of speech preceded the existence of government. To the signers of the Declaration of Independence and the ratifiers of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, the freedom of speech, along with other freedoms, is a natural right because it comes of our humanity, not from the government. He says, I recount this brief history and offer this philosophical nuance because the freedom of speech is supposed to be a bulwark against prosecutions for speech. Thomas Jefferson once argued that so long as the speaker neither picked his pocket nor broke his legs, all the speaker's words are protected. Stated differently, before anyone can be prosecuted for speech, the court must find that there is no legitimate, nonviolent purpose to the speech and no time for listeners to hear countervailing speech. That was the understanding of the freedom of speech at the creation of our republic. Now, sadly, that understanding gave way to the exercise of raw power animated by the fear of losing power when Congress in 1798, during the presidency of John Adams, enacted the Alien and Sedition Acts. One of those acts made it a crime to utter false, scandalous, or malicious speech against the government or the president, or to utter speech in opposition to the government's efforts to shore up defenses from a war with France that never came about. Napolitano says it's hard to accept that some of the same human beings who ratified Congress shall make no laws, no law abridging the freedom of speech also enacted laws that abridged speech. But they did. Eventually, Jefferson defeated Adams for president and the Federalists in Congress repealed the anti-speech portion of their own acts, lest the Jefferson administration have it available for repression against them. That was hardly necessary as Jefferson pardoned those who'd been convicted under Adams for uttering speech in violation of the acts. Now, regrettably, the history of free speech in America is not the history of patient governmental tolerance. 
Rather, it is the history of government violating the First Amendment. Even in the present era, the so-called Patriot Act of 2001 forbids the recipient of a non-judicial search warrant. That's a warrant for which one federal agent has authorized another to search business or financial records in the custody of a record keeper, such as a physician, bank, or lawyer, in violation of the Fourth Amendment from using speech to tell anyone about the receipt of the warrant. He says from time to time the Supreme Court has entered this gloomy picture in an effort to define just how far one can go with uttering words that the government hates or fears. Its most significant modern advance came in a unanimous decision in 1969 called Brandenburg v. Ohio. In that case, Clarence Brandenburg, a KKK leader, set out to incite violence against Jews and blacks in Washington, D.C., but he did so by encouraging violence at a rally in Hamilton County, Ohio. Though he acknowledged that violence was his purpose, he claimed his words were protected political speech. He was convicted under an Ohio law that prohibited inciting violence, even though the violence never came about. Well, the Supreme Court reversed his conviction, holding that it violated the First Amendment. The court ruled that all innocuous speech is absolutely protected and all speech is innocuous when there is time for more speech to rebut it before the harm that it advocates comes to pass. Since Brandenburg spoke in Ohio and the violence he sought to foment was to have occurred in Washington, there was time for saner heads to utter speech rebutting his hateful words. Now, back to the president's words on January 6th. President Trump has been accused of inciting violence by saying, get ready to fight. It's going to be wild. Fight for Trump. Fight much harder. Get rid of the weak Congress people. And later, we love you. <laughs> That's the worst one of all. Now, the president's speech ended at 1245. The Capitol was first breached at 215 p.m. Now, the essence of criminal indictment is immediacy. On January 6th, because there was time for more speech to rebut what the president said, his words are protected. He cannot be prosecuted or even sued for them. If he were impeached for uttering words that are not obviously criminal, Congress would be violating the Constitution. Somehow, I don't think that's going to slow him down, but hey, it, it, it really didn't. Judge Napolitano says, I write this as a constitutional analysis, not a political one. He says the First Amendment protects the speech we hate and fear. It even protects the speech that harms. The remedy for harmful speech is not punishment. It is more speech. The courts know this. The Congress needs to know it as well. Now, I'm sharing this with you not because you should agree with this, but simply because I'm pretty confident there are very few um, counterpoints being offered to the official narrative, which is that Trump incited violence, and we all know it, you know, I, I don't know that. And I don't necessarily hold to that, uh, to that narrative that says, yes, he is guilty of inciting violence and therefore it was right for him to be impeached. And, you know, Congress, before he leaves office, which is what, like six days from now? Before he leaves office, you know, Congress should pass a law requiring all good American citizens to throw trash at Donald Trump anytime and anywhere they see him walking down the street. I mean, they hate him bad enough, I, I think. <laughs> they, they might just be on board for that that or they'll just keep impeaching him over and over long after he's gone i don't know you can check out this article in the show notes at the brianhideshow.com we'll take a quick break we'll be back right after this this is the brian hyde show 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. Just want to send a shout out to uh, my friend Steve Burgess with Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. I know all of us look at insurance and we're like, yeah, 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 I know, I gotta have insurance on the car, insurance on the house. But if you're a business owner, commercial insurance, that's quite a different thing. It can get a lot more complicated. And oftentimes people don't know if they have covered all the bases that they need to have covered. I mean, they're trying to do the right thing. They know they, they want to make sure they've got everything covered, but they're just not sure. Well, that's if you're one of those people, that, and I don't care where you're hearing my voice, go to my show, new, show notes, the bottom of the show notes, you'll see the sponsor links. Get in touch with my friend Steve Burgess at Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. All we're talking about is let them help you navigate that uh, that uh, you know channel of of uh, what you need versus what you have. They can answer your questions. There's no obligation for getting a hold of them. Tell them thanks for sponsoring the show. I don't like to spend a lot of time on political things. In fact, if if you were listening in the earlier you know portion of the of the show here, I I, I decry you know spending time sp- uh, thinking too much about politics or obsessing too much about it. Unfortunately, some of the some of the most downcast people that I that I know today are people who are so vested emotionally in politics, you know that so that's that's what they live and breathe, and they still hope we can turn this around. There's 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 still going to be a chance that we can we can save this at some point. I'm not quite as optimistic. Now, having said that, I'm going to spend a little time here sharing with you an analysis from Pat Buchanan about how the Capitol riot is being exploited in order to kill Trump. Why would I do this? Why would I draw your mind to something political? If for no other reason than just to show you that the people who are are claiming authority and claiming that their priorities are what matter most, not just in their life, but in your life as well, really don't have your best interest at heart. And maybe you can see that through through how petty and how utterly power-driven and opportunistic they are. Pat Buchanan says, Donald Trump has stumbled and fallen, and the establishment is not going to let slip this last opportunity to stomp him and his movement to death. On Sunday, Speaker Nancy Pelosi issued a startling ultimatum. Either Vice President Mike Pence and the Trump cabinet invoke the 25th Amendment, declare the president unfit for office, and remove him within 24 hours, or House Democrats will vote to impeach him again. Which, by the way, they did. Buchanan says, As the Senate, which would have to hear the case and hold the trial, does not meet again until January 19th, the day before Joe Biden is inaugurated, he asks, What is going on here? It sounds absurd, like rushing to hang a man who's going to die the next day. But such is the blind hatred of Pelosi's house for Donald Trump. Representative James Clyburn of South Carolina suggests holding off sending a bill of impeachment to the Senate for 100 days to give Biden a chance to get his appointees confirmed, then indict and convict Trump of sedition when he's a private citizen. What would be be the purpose of impeaching a president who hasn't been president for three months? Answer, a conviction would strip Republicans of the right to re-elect the man who got the largest number of votes in their party's history. House Democrats want veto power over whom Republicans can nominate. And this is the crowd that does not cease to bray about its devotion to democracy. What are the specific grounds for impeaching Trump? In the first draft of the resolution of impeachment, apparently the crime is incitement to insurrection. 
Yet in his Wednesday speech on the Mall, Trump declared we're going to cheer on brave senators and congressmen and women, and we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Trump added, everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Nowhere in Trump's remarks was there a call to violence or to invade the Capitol building or to engage in the mob criminality that took place under the Capitol Dome Wednesday afternoon. But the effort to disgrace and drive Trump from office, an office he'll vacate in 10 days, is just a part of the general purge that's underway against conservatives, Republicans, and Trumpists. Twitter and Facebook, the social media megaphones Trump has used to communicate with some 80 million followers, have terminated the president's personal accounts. Apple, Amazon, and Google have cut ties to the social media website Parler, which is popular among conservatives. The goal of big tech is censorship, to circumscribe Trump's capacity to communicate with his followers and then to cripple the capacity of the right to communicate with one another. And this is being applauded by individuals who see themselves as acolytes of the First Amendment. Now calls are coming from home state newspapers and colleagues for Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz to resign from the Senate. And for what? During Mike Pence's reading of the count during a joint session on January 6th, Cruz and Hawley called for debate on the electoral vote counts of Arizona and Pennsylvania. What Hawley and Cruz did was not only permissible under the statute, it was also supported by more than 100 GOP members of the House. Now, Cumulus Media, which has more than 400 radio stations and employs some of the most popular conservative talk radio hosts in the nation, has warned its on-air personalities to stop suggesting the election of 2020 was stolen from Trump or face termination. Said Brian Phillips, vice president of content at Cumulus, in an internal memo, quote, We will not tolerate any suggestion that the election has not ended. The election has been resolved and there are no alternate acceptable paths. If you transgress this policy, says Phillips, you can expect to separate from the company immediately. Major corporations have begun to instruct their political action committees to halt contributions to Republican leaders who support Trump. And some of Trump's cabinet officers and White House staff have bailed out on him. Count your friends when you're down, Richard Nixon said. On January 21st, Democrats will control the Senate, the House, and the White House. Big tech, big business, big media will all be on board. They will be led, however, by a president and vice president who are in their offices, not because of the great campaign they conducted and the brilliant case they made, but because Americans voted in the most massive turnout in history. 74 million for Trump, 81 million against Trump. As for the GOP, it should follow in these difficult days the council of LBJ when things were going bad. Just hunker down like a mule in a hailstorm and let the wild wind blow. The sun will come out again in the morning. In two years, the pendulum will, sling, will swing back to the right, for it now has nowhere else to go. That's Pat Buchanan's analysis for what it's worth. You know, I, I still maintain... There, there is so much corruption in the political system. And I'm sorry, I'm including Republican as well as, as Democratic efforts as well. It's one big party for the most part. And that's why you see, you know, the closing of ranks when there is a threat to their power. I think the best thing that any one of us could learn to do is just ignore those politicians. You want to rob them of their power? You want to take that power away from them? Ignore them. Withdraw your consent. 
There's a wonderful essay that goes back to the 1500s, Etienne de la Boite. The Discourse on Voluntary Servitude. We get exactly as much oppression as we're willing to take. Now, having said that, because that sounds slightly uh, incendiary, doesn't it? What are you suggesting? At some point we stand up? Well, yes, I'm suggesting there is a point where a person can stand up. But at the same time, I'm going to suggest that maybe this weekend is not the time to stand up and to, uh, you know, go out and parade around with your guns, you know, making a public show of force for I'm serious about my freedoms. Someone is waiting for anybody to make a mistake to justify a more general clampdown. Don't be the source of that. I I was reading a post by Becky Akers. This was on LewRockwell.com. One of her uh, readers, Rick in Oregon, said, The media wants to put anyone who cares about liberty into a small box and convince them their views are irrelevant and weak. But he says, here's the problem. We're the majority, not the fringe minority. We're not underdogs. All government authority is derived from the individual, regardless of his political persuasion. Platforms like Twitter, Facebook, et al., and the media are peddling a lie that it is their view that is the prevailing view. But if that were so, it would be completely unnecessary to censor anyone. (laughs) Amen. He says the mere fact that there is an attempt to censor anyone is proof of the so-called majority's insecurity. The only way that the liberty-loving majority can prevail is to often and loudly object to tyranny. Those who are afraid and yet still cherish their freedom will learn from our example. These tyrants are cowards. And Becky Aker suggests they are. They're cowards. They're bullies. And bullies are always weak. And that's one reason they hire enforcers instead of stalking among us and shooting us themselves. Stand up to them and they slink away, although they will sick their armed goons on dissidents. (laughs) Again, Rick in Oregon says they don't want to employ violent force, really meaning the politicians, they want to intimidate. That's because the population outnumbers all the police and military combined. They have no legitimate authority. To cross over to full-on violence would make that illegitimacy more apparent. Yet our window of opportunity is quickly closing. Here's how Becky Akers puts it. She says, look, our line in the sand should be the same as the Founding Fathers. When they come for our guns, when they try to pull a Lexington and Concord... That's when we deliver the war that they mean to have. Because at least in that case, it's defensive and absolutely justified. This is The Brian Hyde Show.